Welcome to the Rock and Roll Survivors Podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and on season one, the legendary rock star Patty Quattro joins us to discuss her time with the band Fanny, the fabulous feedback from the international press, David Bowie's contributions to the fifth and final Fanny album, and so much more. So let's get started. Patty, I want to do a recap of season one since we're nearing the end. And it's this incredible journey. You joined Fanny in late 1973. Your first gig was at the Whiskey A Go Go on that New Year's Eve from 1973 into 1974. You then were signed with Casablanca Records. Neil Bogart loved you. He puts you on the road throughout the U.S. During this time, you perform a rock opera, including with a script. And then you record the Rock and Roll Survivors album, and then you tour in the UK with Jethro Tull. Tull, excuse me, Butterboy hits the charts, and then I've had it. And unfortunately, Nikki had had it. And she accepted a record label <laughs> deal at another label and quit Fanny mid-tour in the UK. And we've said this before, Patty, but you guys were so close. There are so many in my mind now, what ifs? What if Nikki had taken the record deal but stayed with Fanny? What if, what if, what if? So I want to let you have the floor here to comment on any of this within the year that you were with Fanny. And please. Well, you have detailed it pretty darn correctly. Of course, it was terribly impactive and disappointing at the breakup, right on the cusp of a Billboard hit. We had two singles in one short year, and one being the highest Fanny ever got with a hit after five albums. So, you know, imagine what would have happened if we continued on. I mean, that's a lot to get done in one year when you're just gelling as a new band. I mean, it takes time. And I believe we would have broken through because it was right there and the time was right. But circumstances came into play in varied ways, personal, internal band issues and interests and agendas going on. They were all, you know, some of them very personal, but that's what happens sometimes in bands. And we all have our right to them, of course. Bands are tough. And we were so young. Well, there's so much to think about. I, 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 I hate the idea of regret because there's really nothing you can do with regret. Yeah. But this one, I have to say, this this entire season that we've been talking, I have to admit that this has changed my perspective on Nikki's departure. I have long blamed my dad, your manager, for somehow being such an asshole <laughs> that she somehow left or that he blacklisted her. I, I've never been a daddy's girl in that regard. I'm, I'm very objective with him. But mm -hmm. looking at it now with the year that you had, Mm. It was after my dad had been, managed the first incarnation from yeah. 1970 to late 1973, four albums. He had to fight Warner Brothers to get a dime to take them on the road. And then June and Alice leave their contract at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is up. And now he gets you signed to this hot new record label, Casablanca. And he and Neil are best friends and they have the same vision for you. And again, you were that close and Nikki decides to leave. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, again, your perspective on this. I know we're, we're teasing this out a lot, but it, 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 you were so close. 
Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, it, it really gets me introspective in thinking about how that all rolled out. First point, Roy Silver worked his ass off for a long time as our manager. I'm real aware of it. From the first Fanny days through four albums, he believed in Fanny. He was into it. And he made every move he could to push it ahead. Have no doubt about that. Second point. Of course, there were issues with some of the original Fanny members on his management, the record company, their support. This stuff goes on and on ad nauseum with bands. You know, they're so hungry. The entities that are involved in marketing and promoting a band to success, it's hard to navigate. It's real hard. Every band goes through this shit. Are we doing enough? Is the record company doing enough? Is our manager doing enough? The band members are young and oh so hungry, you know? We all were. And well, okay. if I just I just want to add I just want to add one part to that. With everything you're saying, add to it that you're breaking the glass ceiling. So you're yes. having to you and my dad, everybody is having to create the template. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean it's a Opinion mine, it's easy to call on the carpet your record company and the management at any given time when success isn't coming quick enough and you're working your balls off. And to be fair, many record companies did take advantage of young bands, you know, not paying them enough or or just shining it on. Or if there was another project that they thought deserved more PR, you know, and like you said, they were trying to break in something unusual. So it wasn't exactly that easy. And sometimes I think some of the record companies weren't as into it as they could be. Oh, they're girls, you know, who knows if they'll last, they'll get pregnant, move on, whatever. So there's a lot of thought that even the record suits go into, you know. So they take advantage of what they can with the bands they're handling and putting, but, but they were putting in the money and they did. And I know your dad fought them on it. There's a month long discussion on that. You know, I'm sure he tried his ass off and maybe he had some uh, trouble getting some of the money that he wanted as much. So I don't know. I've detailed things I felt make it harder for the four to break through. We've talked about that. There were reasons I think it didn't happen. And that was on a previous episode, but they toured, they worked and they were still, you know, not enough. You know, why did it not happen? I mean, there's a lot of reasons it doesn't happen. Think about it. You have a street musician that is as talented as hell, and you're walking by, and you can't believe what he's doing on the street. There's a million of them all, all over. They never make it. They never get that leg up. They never happen. Whatever. It takes a lot of luck. It takes the, the record company. It takes a good manager, good PR. There's so many factors involved. You never know if you're going to make it or not. That's rock and roll, you know? But I know that your dad pushed the hell out of them from the onset, from the onset. But it takes a lot of, le- uh, a lot of luck, too. Um, well, one of the things I just want to interject here about my dad is he would often say to new clients, and I know he said this to the earlier Fanny, that his his motto, his mission is from start to stardom. That's how he envisioned. Oh, I love that. Isn't what that a great line. I love that. To stardom. But what he always was highly aware of at the time as well is he would say to his clients, you're going to end up hating me. 
if you make it. You'll end up presenting me and you're going to go to a different manager wow. who's going to make you promises because wow. I was there at the beginning and you're going to be wined and dined toward the end, which gets oh us away back to Nikki. But I want you to keep talking and then we'll get to that. That is so great. You know, it's in the ether of the music uh, <laughs> arena and its controllers who you know, whether you will get that step up as a band, as a hungry musician, you just don't know. And you take your shot. We all did, you know. I don't know. When I came in, a wonderful change happened. Casablanca. You yeah. had Neil Bogart, totally on board. Great move of your dad to put us with him. Uh, Neil was open. He was adventurous. He was daring. He was a risk taker. He had vision. My God, he took on Kiss. How unusual were Kiss with their makeup and the whole thing? And then he took on a girl band. We had support. We didn't make money, but he did support us. And he was behind it. He loved doing something different. So that was a maybe that was the reason that we had two hits in one short year, you know? It, it It's odd. And a tall tour. I mean, he got on it right away. We toured the U.S., went to England. So... Your dad made a real good decision in that decision to put us with Neil. I love that. One of the longstanding themes with Fanny is this notion of the first incarnation of Fanny, as in Nikki, June, Jean, and Alice being oh <laughs> original, which which they were, but as they were. They were. But then after Alice and June left, and you and Bree came in. I mean, it was not necessarily official, but you became you you came to be known as Fanny 2.0 or the oh, second in I know, I hate that. <laughs> well, you know, Brie hates it too. And she and she her comeback lines always, and I think it's right on, is nobody makes that same discretion or distinction with male bands. No, they don't. They don't. It's no big deal. Exactly. Exactly. And so I wanted you to have this platform, this opportunity to talk about this split between the first Fanny and the second Fanny. But I also want to ask you if you think it's because the pool of female artists at the time was so much smaller than the male bands at the time. I don't know, but it just seems like such a silly, petty, territorial competition. And I want to say competition in air quotes because it's not competitive. It's just a different version of the same band. So please tell us your thoughts on this. Yes, I did this very good. And, you know, I was contacted by Seven Roads, which was the original Fanny platform back then. And the leader of it, I think her name was Margaret. I can't remember, but she was sick of it because she had all this mail from people like, oh, I want to hear more about, the, you know, the new band and all that. And they were interested. And then there were the other ones that, oh, they broke up. I mean, it just, it was like kindergarten time. And I do think it was partly because of what you said that, you know, they got women, it was different. I mean, men never went through this. Band members change all the time through history. It happens, you know, get over it. So I became sort of a scapegoat with some of those, you know, babyish ones, you know, um, I had some very mean shade thrown at me, even for some, you know, some of the band members, you know, when they left and stuff, you know, and it was, you know, 
we're all assholes with an opinion. We all have our territories and all that stuff. I'm the same, you know, but it was mean spirited. So, you know, there was a lot that going on and the fans didn't like it. And Cherry in particular. Well, oh, tell us who Cherry is. Tell us. Cherry is a musician. He's a diehard, loyal, fanny fan. He's a uh, protector of women musicians. He had a lot of friends in England that started a girl band that were very good. And we've been in contact for like 10 years. Well, he got on this before I even became close to him. And she interviewed him because she opened it up to let people write in their feelings before she interviewed me. Okay. So there were a few letters and stuff. And he wrote in. And oh, my God, did he go to town? I had to crack up when I read it. He said, <laughs> I'll read a little bit of his. He said, please, let's all stop saying that Fanny were dead when June and Alice left. It negates the talent of Brie and Patty. And I will post interviews with Fanny at the time where Nikki and Jean were totally pro the new sound and image. I mean, and then he wow. says, Fanny reached their ultimate rock album with Mother's Pride. I beg to differ. The seeds of disenchantment can already be heard on that album. He said that. And wow. then he said, so let's please remember that Gene and Nikki forged ahead. And I thank God that they did. Though she may have, though they may have other opinions now, I will post an interview with Nikki at the time saying Bree's a better drummer than Alice and better looking, and that she was rejoicing in the fact with Gene that the sound and playing of both Bree and Patty had brought Fanny to a more rockier sound, which apparently they had been trying to reach for for many a moon. So, I mean, and he wow. goes on and on and on. There's a lot more in his uh, little dissertation, but he was he was so sick of it. He just had to, you know, get out what he was feeling. Well, and I have to say, I'm, I'm so honored to be Facebook friends with Jerry Simpson. And in his words, with what he just wrote, rah, rah, rah. Bring on the light. <laughs> I just <laughs> love that he was able to encapsulate that because there really shouldn't be, again, these these two sides, these two factions, these two, you know, it's just so unnecessary and defeats and diminishes all the work that all of you put in, all of you. So I want to pick up on this idea in terms of how Fanny whether it's the first incarnation or when you and Bree join and June and Alice leave that you're, it's now almost, it's, well, it's more than it's five plus decades. And yeah. I would like you to talk about how Fanny has been written about how it's been discussed, how it's been analyzed. And most especially, I would love you to touch upon how it's been documented throughout these five decades, including the recent documentary that came out, Fanny, The Right to Rock, directed by Bobby Joe Hart, which has gotten a lot of acclaim and a lot of attention. But as a trained historian and as someone who has known the band since I was three years old, since 1970, it was hard for me to be objective watching this because it was not necessarily historical. It was more a mm -hmm. certain perspective. And I am not shy in vocalizing that I'm okay with a director taking a perspective, but the all but omission of Nikki Barclay's contributions 
in both versions of the band is to me woefully shameful. And also that you and Brie in the documentary are really kind of given short shrift after you've signed to Casablanca and in that incredible year with two, you know, singles on the charts. So talk to me about your thoughts on the documentary and other things I've touched upon. Well, let's let's back up a teeny bit first to a couple distinctions that I think need to be made leading up to that documentary. There were a lot of good musicians floating around all through our history, plenty of them, and they were good. And I could list so many, but in rock, the notables were Susie and my early bands, The Pleasure Seekers, and Genya Ravan. My God, we had our first single out at 13 and 16. And we were signed to a major booking agency, ABC Records, who only, handled by the president, mind you, who only did Billie Holiday, Louis Armstrong, and the Pleasure Seekers. And signed to Mercury. And then Fanny came along. So that was before Fanny. And then Fanny came along and they had the first album deal, you know, four thing album deal. We had all done our slogging through the circuits, different cities, you know, but paid our dues, made our way up. Nobody owns the first to do it bullshit. We all had our firsts, period, end of story. The point is, I feel, you know, back to hearkening back to what Cherry said, I think sometimes you can be overprotective of when change happens. But to what my way of thinking, and I heard this from di different members of the original, you know, they were slogging along for years, you know, working hard and doing all that. So they feel very territorial and protective. I mean, you touched on this a few minutes ago, but bands break up, members change. I just think differently about it. You can get all wound up and end up living in past glory, you know, as if that was the high point of your life and you're bitter it changed and it broke up. What does that get you? You're a legend in your own mind. You know, it's bitter. Whatever happens to bands happens and that's life in rock and roll. No promises and shit is sure to happen to your band. I owe my outlook to my daddy. At different times, when Susie and I broke up, it was tough. You know, when Fanny, when Nikki left, it was tough. When I came into Fanny, it was tough. He always taught us Quattro girls, get back on that horse and move ahead. And that's what I've always done. I don't have judgment or bitterness or anything. You know, people have to follow their own journey. And that's part of life, you know, come what may. And that's what... I have always believed in, and I will always believe and feel joy for the times that I spent with Fanny, you know, and shared that portion of our journey. So now comes Fanny, the right to rock. Okay. <laughs> it's done marvelous. It's getting kudos, attention, awards, and it's elevated the Fannies, as we call them, into new recognition and appreciation. Okay. I guess the fat lady ain't sung yet because <laughs> 60s and 70 year old ladies can still lay it down. You know, we did, we did two days rehearsal, never having played on the same stage all together. Imagine that. I mean, that's quite a feat. I can't believe we did it. Then we did the California tour, played the whiskey, have some TV upcoming. 
it's I've been having a blast with it. You know, it's like a proverbial cherry on top at our age. So unexpected, which makes it all the sweeter. Now, read the documentary. I don't know how Bobby Joe did it. Honestly, I can't imagine the difficulty of tackling a band's story, the original band, right? Choosing the protagonists and the marketable angles for success and having to wield a very hard control and strong arm on what to include and what goes on the editing room floor. You know, this is hard. And then all this with the knowledge she had of having more than, in fact, I'm not sure she had because she came to music, honestly, you know, she wasn't like a musician or anything. She just heard about these girls and loved the story of it and got into it. But it's not like she's a uh, rock historian, you know, but she chose this story and she had to do this all with the knowledge, finally, you know, as she got into it with this historical legacies that are decades long other than the people that you've chosen your protagonists. And you have to leave out so many interesting music clips from the second portion of the band and stories. You only have an hour and a half for this movie. You have to hone in on your chosen angles and main characters. And it was June and Jean's story. The gay angle and racism being so very important in our world today. And I think those angles really helped shove them right up in our faces and steered the documentary to on so much success, being that they're very controversial even today. Well, and so I would agree to the mix of that frame that Bobby Joe went with in terms of. Yes, it was successful for her. And remember, when she started this movie, uh, Jean hadn't had her stroke yet. So, I mean, you know, she had a, a beginning, a middle and end. She had it all planned out and it turned on its ear. So that had to be extremely difficult to navigate because I'm sure she had a little bit of a different ending in mind, perhaps. And she had to deal with the reality that they weren't going to go on tour again and whatever, because Jean was incapacitated in that way. So good on Bobby. The angles chosen worked really well for her. For her. Am I sad that some of the Fanny clips didn't appreciate some inclusion in place of some scenes here and there. As I said a minute ago, every asshole have an opinion, and I do too. I have my thoughts on it. We all have our impressions of the movie. I've had a million people write me and ask me, why wasn't there more? And, you know, what, you know, that's not my movie. It's not my call. She made a call as a director and she went in the direction that she wanted. But there's a lot of important historical legacy that didn't get to be in it at all. And so be it, you know, these clips will have some light on them very soon as a part of completing a third history of the Fanny legacy. I'm promising that, which included, honestly, six hardworking females, not four six that worked in the musical arena and worked their balls off. And may I add, Nikki for me was a huge part of Fanny 1.0 with all her contributions. I loved her voice, etc. And I loved working with her when I was in it. So I'm very glad to be shining light on her 
in our podcasts, even though she wants no part of it. It's so well-deserved. that's my personal perspective. Thank God I did not have to make those kind of editing decisions. Thank you, but no thank you. It's very hard stuff. 
what Bobby had to do. And kudos to her. She picked her angles. She ran with them very well. And of course, we all have our own perspectives, as it should be. You have yours. I have mine. You know, I'm thrilled that it's out there and doing so well and putting light on the Fanny contributions. So be it. Yeah.